Good, uh, good morning. Good morning. If you guys have your Bibles, let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Here's what we're going to do today. Uh, we're going to go back and work through a little bit of chapter 5 in order to set the stage for a little bit more of chapter 6. Uh, and uh, it, it's just a grand thing that even in preaching and studying a sermon and, and preparing a sermon, you, you find, like, let me, let me put it this way, I wish that I could know everything there was to know about the book before we preached the first sermon. Uh, that would be awesome. Uh, of course, it would be great to know everything about each book, period, which is not possible anyways. Um, but uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to work through very quickly a little bit of a review of last week in order to kind of prepare us for what we're going to really talk about this week, and that is the rest of chapter 6 minus, once again, a couple verses. Uh, so we're actually going to stop at chapter 6, verse 9, uh, because, you know, it's really, my plans were, uh, it's a little bit of confession time, was to preach through each chapter, basically just hit a chapter and move on to the next chapter, um, and just kills me, chapter divisions, uh, they're just ruthless uh, to those of us who just kind of breeze through scripture um, and not pay much attention to the context and the, the, the author's breakup of the text. Sometimes chapter divisions are great. Sometimes they're right on. Sometimes that is a good moment uh, to, make some, uh, to make some changes or make, to make kind of a stop right there in the middle. Uh, but the fact is many times they're not. Now, uh, last week, uh, purposefully missed, skipped over part of the end of chapter 5. Uh, in order to add it on to this week's sermon. But all that to say, we're going to review a little bit of chapter 5, and then we're going to really hit it in the rest of it, and we'll try and get us out of here on time today. So, here's the deal. Let's start off with this comment. Following Christ does not mean the removal of happiness and blessedness. Now, we know that, right? Like, we know that coming into Ecclesiastes, that there is great blessing and joy, and, and I'm, I'm using... Let's set aside for a few moments. Like we have this, we, we try to draw this distinction between happiness and joy. And I think there is an appropriate distinction. But we tend to think that in the Christian life that there is no room for happiness. Because that's based upon circumstances and so on and so forth. But I think we'll find that this isn't a treatment of the division of those two, those two things, joy and happiness. But I'm going to use happiness today without giving a disclaimer about it every time I use it, okay? Is that cool? So I'm not going to disclaim it every time we use it. So, following Christ does not mean the removal of happiness and blessedness. Um, Jesus says what? Die to yourself. Right? That's what he tells us to do. But for what? What does he tell us to die to ourselves? What comes after that? Tell me. So we might live. Might live. Right, right. So we have true life in Christ. We would have true life. So it's not a call to forsake life or a call to forsake any kind of joy or happiness. It's a call to ultimate joy, ultimate happiness, ultimate blessedness in Christ. Uh, but let me say this. Let me challenge us that we need to keep our minds 
away from solely looking at uh, circumstances and events. Because part of that's what Ecclesiastes is getting us to do, is to look beyond the temporal events and circumstances that we find ourselves in. So even when we think about blessedness, blessedness in Christ, uh, and, we, and we think about this life in Christ, we tend to think in the realm of, when we think of blessings, we think of circumstances by which God has designed in our lives in order to make us joyful or happy. And we need to stay away from that. Yes, God does affect those circumstances and such, but Ecclesiastes is pulling us to a different perspective, a view, if you will, from a different vantage point. Um, so, don't just limit ourselves to thinking circumstances. Uh, it's about perspective and vantage point. It's, it's also clear from Ecclesiastes that every man desires significance, fullness, meaning in life. Um, obviously, again, not to restate the obvious, but we seek this in the wrong places. Let me ask you a question. How many of us this past week found ourselves seeking fulfillment, meaning, satisfaction in some place other than God? Yeah. Uh, I, I'm glad you guys, uh, let me say this, this as a side, I'm glad you guys were quick to raise your hand. Not just in the fact that, yes, I'm a sinner, you know, like we all just, ha and we do that. But, like, we need to recognize, and I'm glad we do, and it seems like we do, and, and from other conversations, that we recognize this is a daily struggle for us. It's not a far-fetched, theoretical idea. This is something that I struggle with on a daily basis, finding meaning, having the wrong vantage point, the wrong perspective on life. Um, and uh, I'm glad we all can work through that together. Um, so Kohelet, what he does, again, he seeks to cut off all of these options for us where we might try to find satisfaction and fulfillment. Uh, question, why do you think Kohelet takes this method? Why do you think he tries to cut off those options? Talk to me. Why do you think he tries to cut off those options? Why do you think he does, let me say this, why do you think he goes to the extremeness that he, extremeness that he does in order to cut off these options? Let's go that route. Take away excuses? Okay. What else? Do what? Remove the clutter. Okay. Okay, well, that's kind of part of the uh, overall picture, something that's, that, is, that we're trying to just kind of sort through this so we can focus on the right things. Um, let me give you a couple comments. There's so many people on these alternate paths that he's talking about that it necessitates him showing them that they will never succeed. And part of this is just the, the fact that there's so many people, both in his day and in our day, that are on those paths that, uh, that it takes something extreme, something uh, like this to show them. The other thing is that people are finding some level, and here's, here's the challenge, particularly for us today. People are finding some level of contentment in the things of life. I mean, I mean it would be foolish and stupid of us to go, well, there is absolutely no contentment in anything but God. But then we look around and we see people experiencing some level of contentment. 
even though it might be a false substitute for the real contentment. And see, that's where we as Christians have to be careful because we can go, well, the Bible says there's no contentment anywhere else. And then we go to the people we work with and say, there's no contentment in everything in your life. And they look at us and go, well, dude, I'm pretty happy. Like, this is pretty cool. And we have to understand that there's, there's a distinction. And we can't just be ignorant in our approach uh, when we bring those kind of things up. But there's people finding some level of contentment. And that's the thing we have to look out for in our lives is that there's probably areas where we're finding some level of contentment apart from God. Uh, but it, we're not quite aware of it because we still have God over here. So we have God plus contentment here. Uh, kind of like gospel plus this, and that would not be the gospel, but contentment and other things as well. Um, so, um, think about the things in your life that you're finding some level of contentment, meaning satisfaction in. Um, think about those things. You know, you know for me, uh, and we're going to talk about the balance of this today, but for me, it, one of these things like might be my kids finding some sort of contentment apart from God in my children. Um, another one that I struggle with is, uh, is money. Uh, finding contentment in that purchase, finding contentment in the thrill of seeking and finding, uh, you know, finding some, so, you know, so think about maybe an area of your life that that is the case for you. So Kohelet, what he has to do is he has to hold up before us the ultimate failure of these false substitutions, uh, these false areas of finding contentment in life. And that's what he does. He holds up to us these extreme examples of their failure. Um, that's one of the greatest things about, I think, about Ecclesiastes is that, you know, oftentimes Scripture says do this, believe this, uh, and we're expected, obviously, to follow Scripture, but here, what, uh, what Kohelet does, he says, believe this, and here's my scientific evidence, if you will, that what I'm saying is true. I did this, 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 and this, and it equaled this. Think about that. So, Kohelet tells us that these things are false, and um, so as we continue to work through this, let me set this up for you. I want you to put this on your paper. I think this will be very helpful to you. Today we're going to look at, in Kohelet, what, uh, what is known as a chiastic structure. Right? So I'm gonna, this is, I'm gonna, I want you to write this down. A. <laughs> All right. All right. So it's going to look like this. You're going to start on this side. You're going to put the letter A. And then I just want you to put verses 5, 8 through 12. A, and then verses 8 through 12. Chapter 5, 8 through 12. Then you're going to indent, drop down a line, indent 0.5 inches, right? For the letter B. <clears throat> chapter 5, verses 13 through 17. This is why chapter divisions are terrible. All right, third line, you're going an inch in from the margin now. Get your rulers, make sure you get that just right. There's letter C, 
And the letter C is chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. We're almost, we're about halfway there. Then you're going to indent now again, one line down, and put the letter D. A visual been good, but that's just way too easy, okay? All right, letter D, and that is chapter 5, verse 20. All right, now is where we're going to get like a real artsy, okay? You're going to go down a line, but you're going to go back one indent, and you're going to put the letter C, and make sure the letter C is in line with your letter C that's above. It's just beautiful. Uh, you're going to show your work after you're done. Just, uh, yeah, should have brought an extra piece of paper with you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you don't need to leave, necessarily leave space in this. You'll have, you can come back and make notes on that later. All right, so everybody got A, B, C, D, and then now the letter C, right? Now you're going to indent, go down a line, and go backwards another to in line with your letter, I'm sorry, you, C. C is chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. Sorry. I almost got ahead of myself. And then the letter B. B is again a down a line, but in line with the B above. And it's chapter 6, verses 3 through 6. And finally, letter A should be back on the left-hand margin. Yes, beautiful. And that is chapter 6, verses 7 through 9, and that's where we'll stop today. Uh, not as in at this moment, but as in once we get to verse 9, that's where we'll stop today. Okay, everybody hold up their papers. Let me see. Yeah, 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 cheater. <laughs> I can't, okay, there we go. Ah, beautiful. All right, Gr Greg and Rusty are the only ones with perfect indents, okay? Uh, to the point. That's beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and mine too. Mine have perfect indents as well. Okay. Everybody got that? Everybody got that? Okay. All right. Now here's what we're going to do. We're going to read through the text. Let me explain the chiastic structure. Then we're going to read through the text. And I want you to read it and kind of keep in mind the visual that I just had you draw. Okay? That was part of the exercise of having you draw it so that you can kind of help you visualize it as we go. So a chiastic structure is that basically ideas A and A relate uh, or sometimes even synonymous, um, but they project kind of the same concept. Then Bs project, again, the same concept. Then C, and this, these can be as big or as little. Uh, and then letter Cs project the same, again, concept. And then the climax is then letter D. It's just common in Hebrew and Aramaic poetry. Uh, this is not just people looking for some secret hidden message in the Word of God. Um, this is common throughout poetry in, uh, during this time period. So, with that said, let's start at chapter 5, verses 8. And we're just going to read, and I'm going to break up the sections for you, okay? Chapter 5, verse 8. He says, if you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, 
a king committed to, culti- to cultivated fields. He, verse 10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. So that is letter A. Now we're going to move to letter B. Moving on, verse 13. There is a grievous evil that I have seen. Um, let me pause. Let me, let me say this. This might be helpful. In A, he's speaking of people who cannot be satisfied. It's a big portion. I'm saying a lot of different things in there, but that's kind of the main gist of that of letter A, the first letter A, people who cannot be satisfied. And it is these wealthy, in search of wealth type people. Verse, letter B, verse 13. There is a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. And he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness in much vexation of sickness and anger. In the letter B, he talks about the person who cannot, or the people who can not enjoy. So basically it's an anecdote, if you will, for what he was referring to in the section above. People who cannot enjoy. Then letter C, verse 18. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. Uh, Letter C, if you will, to summarize it, he's talking about what is good. What is good? What is good? Then letter D, verse 20. He says, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Letter D, that is letter D. That is the climax of this chiastic structure. That is God keeps, the summary statement, if you will, God keeps people occupied with joy. God keeps people occupied with joy. Kind of like being plugged into the matrix. Just kidding. I'm allowed to get a nerd video reference in every once in a while. Rusty doesn't get all of them. <laughs> okay, now let's, we're going to work backwards. Chapter 6, this is letter C. Chapter 6, verses 1 uh, through 2. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. But a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. So let us see what is bad. 
what is bad. So again, a closely related concept to the letter C above. What is good, now what is bad. Moving on to letter B, verse 3 of chapter 6. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest, rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to one place. So, letter B, people who, once again, cannot enjoy. And once again, another anecdote in the chiastic structure. Same as letter B above. Lastly, letter A. Letter A. Verse 7. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself, himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Once again, letter A, people who cannot be satisfied. Uh, Austin did not mention this. Letter A and both are both considered instructions slash proverbial as well. So, let's begin with chapter 5, verse 8. We're going to work through these. The first part is going to be a little quick because we already talked through some of this. Um, but the first thing that we see from the text is that those who pursue wealth will never be satisfied. And we're going to define that and exclaim that, or dis, uh, disclaim it, but for right now, people who pursue wealth will never be satisfied. Let's go back to chapter 5, verse 8, and read through verse 12 with me here. It says, If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. Now we're going to kind of, again, we're going to, that's part of this, but we're not going to concentrate too much right there. We're going to start really in verse 10. It says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. So those who pursue wealth will not be satisfied. The lover of Money will not be satisfied with money, nor the lover of wealth be satisfied with gain. People pursue money as their goal in life. And understand, Kohala saying this is an unattainable goal. It's not possible. Wealth itself, here's the deal. And this is, we have to draw this distinction. Wealth itself is not the problem. But it's the seeking of that wealth that is 
not satisfiable. That is the problem. The seeking of the wealth is not. Otherwise, there are lots of people, even in God's examples, uh, and uh, you know, in Job and so on and so forth, we're going to look at. But wealth is not the issue. It's the seeking of that wealth in place of God. That is the issue. Look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, keep your finger in Ecclesiastes, says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Uh, it's the love of money. And that, this verse is often misquoted. Well, money is the root of all evil. No, it's the love of money is the root of all kinds of of evil. Um, so the preacher's summary, if you will, back in chapter 5, verse 10 of Ecclesiastes, he says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. The seeking after this and the results which it produces, this is vanity. Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 15. And he said to them, Take care. And be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Right? One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Be careful to guard against all covetousness. So, We, again, this is not just a problem or a potential sin with the wealthy. It's a potential sin for all of us. It's a potential pursuit for all of us. And again, we can mask this in many different things. Like we can mask this in provision for family. We can mask this in uh, other items, but... But to be careful, I mean, because we are called, I mean, the bookends, we are called to provide, be a good steward, to, to do well in this life. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what that looks like and kind of what that balance is and what we'll the flesh more of it out this week in house gatherings. But um, we should be careful we don't mask it in something and call it spiritual and good when it is dreadful and sinful. Okay? So keep that in the back of your mind as we work through this. So... Uh, last week, um, I'm sorry, fr from this week, look at chapter 6. And we're going to jump ahead to chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. So those are the verses real quick. Here's kind of how I've broken this up. This will help you guys. What we just looked up very quickly was 8 through 12 because we, we hit that last week. Now we're going to look at the other half of the chiastic structure which is the other letter A, so we can see them two and see they're parallel together. Does that make sense? Well, that's what we're going to kind of do. We're going to kind of walk in the, the structure as we go today. Okay, so look at chapter 6, verses 7, and read with me 7 through 9. He says, chapter 6, verses 7 through 9, he says, All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. Hmm, sounds quite familiar. For what advantage does the wise man 
over the fool? Or what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. So verse 7, look at verse 7. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. It's referring both to our appetite for uh, food, but also our appetite for wealth. This will not be satisfied. It's impossible. Look at verse 8. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? With respect to their appetite for food and riches, neither the wise nor the fool will ever be satisfied. That is his point. He's not saying there's no advantage to being wise, but he's saying when it comes to having an appetite for food and for wealth, they both will have the same appetite. The desire for more, for more food, for more wealth. He's saying there is no difference between them in that respect. The rest of verse 8 He says, and what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? I think what he's referring to here is is basically like an advantage to the poor in this moment, in this particular situation. So what do the poor have that guides them to proper behavior? So he's referring here to a proper behavior, living before, to conduct, of conduct, before the living, what does he have that guides that conduct? And that's in verse 9. He says, Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. So the, here's the, the lovers of money, in contrast, are not content with God's daily gifts of food, drink, and work. Their wandering desire always wants more and more. Um, I don't... I'll, I'll leave it there. We'll flesh some of that out a little bit later this week. Uh, there's, I'm sure, some questions there. We'll hit that. So, their appetite, though, will never be satisfied. And what's the teacher's judgment of this? Verse 9. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. It's this appetite that will never be satisfied is vanity. All right, let's move forward. Next thing we see here is that it is evil when people do not enjoy their life. All right, so this is good, right? So this is like Joel Osteen 101. Your best life now, according to Kohelet, the preacher. Right? Uh, that, that was bad, I'm sorry. Someone, someone said it was going to get me a jersey and put Kohelet on the back of it, you know. Uh, right. <laughs> and a few more notches in wisdom before, uh, before I wear that shirt. Uh, and maybe a little more wealth. Uh, do I? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, someone just got busted. Someone just got busted recently. We digress, I know, but someone just got busted recently for illegally producing alcohol. I saw it on the news. It was like last week. But like, wow, 
Like moonshine in Ohio, man. It's like great. <laughs> yeah. Next one we get in a race car track, you know. All right, sorry, that's bad. Okay, moving on. It is evil when people do not enjoy their life. So here, here's, yes, I'll just put it this way. We're we to establish a couple bookends, okay? We've, we're already, we've been really hitting this one over here where anything apart from God just stinks, okay? Like, we've kind of established that. Now we're going to try and build up a little bit of this side of the bookend uh, on the shelf, okay? So let's, let's commence with that. Last week, we looked at Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 13 through 14. Let's read that again to refresh our memory. This is letter B, remember? There is a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun... Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but has nothing in his hand. So when you see grievous ill, what it literally means is sickening evil. It is a sickening evil that I've seen under the sun, that these riches were kept by his owner, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. So they kept their riches. They did not enjoy them, but they hoarded them. Uh, I mean, think about this. What's this remind us of in chapter 12 of the book of Luke? The man who stored up. The, the what? He built the barns, absolutely. And he dies. So he stores up, does not enjoy them, which is, which is so... Uh, and we're just going to just dabble in this today, okay? I don't want to let the cat out of the bag. When you start talking about Christ and seeking first the kingdom of God and how that fits into enjoyment that Ecclesiastes is talking about here, uh, it's just a grand picture, okay, uh, that I don't know that we'll be able to paint really thoroughly today. But we'll get to at least dabble in that a little bit, okay? So, back to chapter 5 of, of Ecclesiastes. Uh, so what happens, he lost it. So he does not enjoy what he has, his wealth, his riches, and then he loses it all. Now, Scripture does not say how he lost it. It just says a bad venture. So somehow he lost it. Maybe, maybe he uh, bet, you know, on uh, uh, the stock market. You know, and, and lost it all. You know, he put it all on uh, Enron, and it just all went in the tank, okay? Uh, or he bet on the wrong horse, you know? That might be a little more realistic, you know? His wife with the big hat said, do that horse right there, and he, he bet it all, lost it all. Because I can't see the horse, your hat's in the way. All right. All right, sorry. The emphasis, <laughs> emphasis, all right? Back to the text. The emphasis in verse 14 is the fact that he has nothing in his hands. That's the emphasis of that, that verse. He has nothing in his hands. So he has a, he has a what does he say, a father of a son? Right? Like, okay, duh. What, what's that? He has nothing to give him. He has nothing to pass on. He has nothing in his hands. Verse 15. Again, this was last week. And he came from his mother's womb. He shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. Who does this remind you of? In the Old Testament. It's a book about him. 
three-letter word? Job. Very good. All right. Reminds us of Job. After he lost everything, Job says, chapter 1, verse 21, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Um, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The teacher goes on in verse 16 of chapter 5. Says this also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? The answer is none. There is no gain. He likens a toiling for riches to toiling for the wind. And we've already heard the phrasing "herding for the wind" or trying to corral the wind. Same concept. He is trying to grab the wind, but it just slips right through his fingers. So what is the result? Verse 17, Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness in much vexation and sickness and anger. So the rich who have lost their riches eat in darkness. Now you go, oh, so he can't pay his light bill. You know, what's, what's the deal? You know, DPNL came along, put the board on the window so no sun could come through, right? Uh, this is, this is something that I hope we begin to understand more in the days to come as a body. Uh, but the value of dining together and enjoying time over meals together. Um, because during this time, the idea of feeding together as a social event was a great importance to this culture. It was highly valuable. The idea of us sitting down the table together and eating and enjoying the time. Um, and what he, if you look at, give you, let me give you a couple examples. Chapter 18 of Genesis, verses 6 through 8. You can look at this up later. It says, When Abraham was approached by strangers, he ran out to meet them and invited them to a big dinner. When was the last time you ran out to meet strangers and invited them in for a big dinner? <laughs> right, right. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah, 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 we gave out candy from Odd Lots, yes. If that qualifies as a big dinner. Uh, maybe for some people it might, yeah. All right. What about Luke chapter 15 when the prodigal son returns home? The father rushed out to meet him and welcomed him with a great feast. Uh, eating together was a, was a celebration in many ways. But the rich who have lost everything eat alone in darkness. I mean, this is a big deal. Darkness stands for more than just the lack of light. Ultimately, darkness stands for death as well. So the rich who have lost everything, it's like their life is over. So the rich seeking contentment in their wealth, losing it all, having not enjoyed it, as God has commanded them to, now it's like their life is over. They eat in darkness, and they eat alone. So with that in mind, let's look at chapter 6, verse 1, for this week. Chapter 6, verse 1, he says, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and that lies heavy on mankind. 
a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet, this is a very big yet, God does not give him power to enjoy them. Think about that for just a few seconds. But a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that, listen to the language, a stillborn child is better off than he. So here, the teacher adds another story of a rich person who does not enjoy life. We have another anecdote here. A man may have lots of children and live many years, but what good are they if he does not enjoy life's good things? Let me break away for just a moment here. This is where we as Christianity, you've got kind of like two spectrums here. You have the, uh, it's your best life now, get to in you know it is it is all health wealth all of that and then you've got the christians that are over here that it's there's no happiness no enjoyment of things on this earth no no uh let me, let me give you let me give you another example uh baptists like to sing hymns traditionally and then like the pentecostals come along and like go like they're like Baptists like here and the Pentecostals are like woohoo we want to go over here. And so neither one's in a good state, you know. Lots of truth, no spirit, very little truth, no or lots of spirit, very little truth, and there's a balance in there in the middle. And so same thing here, like we have this where it's just all about acquiring possessions and, and enjoyment of these things to the end that we enjoy them and not God. We look to God, and we look to God for the purpose of enjoying things, uh, or the ability, if you will, to enjoy things. And on this side, if we're enjoying things, then we cannot be enjoying God. And both are not what the Bible teaches. And Kohel, I think, helps us to understand some of the balance of that in our lives. So, here we have another example of a rich man who does not enjoy life. Um, God here, what's interesting is God does not allow this person to enjoy uh, God's gifts. Uh, this is in contrast to chapter 5, verse 19. Look at 19. It says that it is God who enables us to enjoy God's gift. Not really in contrast, but, but see those two things. It is God who enables us to enjoy God's gifts. But in chapter 6, verse 2 God does not enable this rich person to enjoy this wealth. Um, I don't, I don't want to sit here and speculate on that first. So let's just go ahead and press forward. Uh, chapter 6, verse 3. Again, this is still in the same level of the chiastic structure. Verse 3. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he has no burial, and I say that stillborn is better off than he. So this person has a miserable life because why? Because he does not enjoy life's good things. Do you guys see that? So he has a miserable life because he's not enjoying the things that God has given him. Okay? 
There's some level of enjoyment that is good and fitting for those who are followers of Jesus. There is, a, there is some level, and we have to figure out what that is, but there's some level of enjoyment that is not just okay, but I think we'll find out later in Scripture that is honorable to God and enjoyment of the things He's given us. So, in addition, He says He is miserable uh, because He has no burial. And then he says, a stillborn child is better off than he. Wow. I mean, think about that. What is he saying? A stillborn is better off than him. I mean, this, is, this is a shocking comparison between the two. This is a wealthy dude, had everything. And a stillborn baby is, is better. Um, let's, let's read on. Verse 4 and 5. This will help inform us of that. Verse 4 and 5. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness. He's speaking of the stillborn child here. The stillborn child comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. That's what he's saying here. A stillborn comes and goes before it experiences the harsh realities of life. It's here, it's gone, it does not experience the vanity and the futility of that he's referring to here. It does not see the light of day or know anything about the pain of life in this world. The rich man has no proper burial and therefore cannot find rest. But the stillborn child finds rest. What's he referring to? Burial here. If you, you can look this up later. Deuteronomy chapter 21. God required prompt burials. Look at 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 22. Jeremiah chapter 16. 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 22, Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 6. Look these up later. But God's punishment sometimes consisted of no burial. This is a big deal. Look at verse 6 of chapter 6. He says, even though he should live a thousand years twice over. Hey, that's 2,000 years, okay? 2,000 years. Yet enjoy no good. Do not all go to one place. So imagine the rich man living 2,000 years. I mean, this would be a tremendous blessing, right? To live 2,000 years? Wow. Of course, I'm thinking, man, you know, I've only been alive. Like like 1% of that I have been alive, and I don't know if I want to live 2,000 years. Uh, But if he would not enjoy any of God's good gifts in all these years, his life would still be futile. And empty. To live 2,000 years and to not enjoy the things of God, and it is futile and empty. All go to the same place, dust to dust, right? Dust we came from, dust we shall return. We all return to the same place. If you don't believe me, go dig up a coffin, okay? Just don't tell me which one you're doing. To have life so long and yet not to have enjoyed God's good gifts, what a waste. What a waste. So, here we are. Two points so far. Two points so far. 
people who pursue wealth will not be satisfied. Right? Point number two, it is evil when people do not enjoy their life. Now he's going to make his major point, if you will. We are to enjoy God's daily gifts. We are to enjoy the daily gifts from God. We're to enjoy them. Let's read chapter 5, verse 18. He says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting. Earlier on, he says something about a grievous ill and a vanity. Here he's saying this is good and fitting. Life does not have to end in such tragedies. And what we have to be careful is that we don't get to the same end. And the only difference between us and the rich man is we just didn't have as much. But we were wealthy, all right. But we get to the end and we did not enjoy the daily things that God has given us. And we end up with the same result. So, he says, this is what I've seen to be good. Going on in verse 18. He says, behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find what? Find what? Enjoyment. To find God. Does he say that? No. He says at this point, to find enjoyment. To find enjoyment in all the, what? Toil, huh? To find enjoyment in the toil. Wow. What do you know? You know that job you put 19 screws into the same refrigerator for 12 years? Huh. Sitting in front of that computer or leading your family. Hmm. To find it in all the toil, we'll, we'll keep going. With which one toils under the sun? Ah, so it's toiling that's under the sun. Hmm. The few days of his life, an acknowledgement of the short period of which we sit on this earth, and this life that God has given him, for this is what? His lot. This is his lot. So, let's work through this. Emphasis in this passage is on enjoyment. On enjoyment of these items. Find enjoyment in the common things of life. God has only given us a few days on earth, and there's nothing that we can do about that fact. He has given us a few days, but we can do something about the few days that He has given us on this earth. We can use them to pursue money and end up with vexation, sickness, and resentment, or we can begin every day with the goal of enjoying the things that God has given us. Those are our options. How do we enjoy the things that God has given to us? When we start with the common everyday things that he mentions in the passage, food, drink, work, 
We all probably pretty much do those every day, right? Food, drink, not necessarily alcohol, and work, right? We do that every day. Whether you get a paycheck for your work or not, we do these three things every day. Start by enjoying those. So, I hate dusting. You know, start by enjoying dusting, you know? I'm just kidding. So, here's a question. <laughs> but what about the people who are rich? Um, verse 19. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is what? The gift of God. Notice the stress that this is a gift of God. A gift of God. So God gives wealth and possessions, followed by God gives the ability to enjoy them. Here's the point. Wealth in itself is not evil. It is a gift of God. But wealth as an end in itself is a sickening evil. So pursuing wealth as an end in itself will lead people to ruin. Again, don't just think about the Bill Gates and those people with lots of money. We, I mean, really, we all have lots of money. All right, let's move on. The next thing that we see is that there is a great benefit to this godly living. I'm not going to send this outline to Best Life now. There's great benefit to this godly living. Chapter 5, verse 20. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Wow, what is he doing? What is he talking about? What's he been saying like all along? What's he been saying? Life is what? Vanity. It is empty. It's futile. It's apart from God. It is all, will all burn up. Only the things that last are those things that are eternal. The only things that are eternal is the things that are affected by God. It is all vanity. But yet, it is still a part of our life. And God, uh, we don't have time to work through all this, but God, in a nutshell, has given us this to keep us occupied, this ability to enjoy the things to enjoy and the ability to enjoy them during this time. And he literally says to keep us occupied. Let's keep, let's keep rolling. Here the teacher states the benefit of godly living. If God keeps us occupied every day of our lives uh, with the joy of our hearts, then we will seldom reflect on the few days God has given us or the vanity of this life. So, even when we encounter 
difficulties, joy should still dominate our lives. This is what God has given to us. So, the message is clear. We have, we have really two choices here, okay? Two choices. Number one, so we have a choice between two ways of life. One, we can spend life pursuing wealth, but this never satisfies, right? We can spend life pursuing wealth, or we can focus on enjoying God's gifts every day. We can focus on enjoying God's gifts every day. It's interesting. Christ gives us two choices as well. Christ gives us two choices as well. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. He tells us in John chapter 6, verse 27, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Put a couple more pieces in that puzzle. Here is the glorious picture. Should see again, there's 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 this balance. Seeking Christ is not the neglect of stewardship and enjoyment of the things of this life. Right? Matter of fact, it should lead to the enjoyment of the things of this life. But in that enjoyment of the things of this life, do we worry about the food, the drink, and those things of which we are to be enjoying? Do we worry about those? Do we? What does Jesus say? Chapter 6 of Matthew, verse 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your Heavenly Father knows them that you need them all. But what? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. What has Kohelet just said? Just like Kohelet, Jesus is affirming, is stating that food and drink and these things are gifts from God. And not only are they gifts from God, but Kohelet informs us, and other passages as well, that even the ability to enjoy those things are from God. So if we strive for the kingdom of God, God will give us food and drink and whatever we need to live on this earth. So, here's, here's kind of where the rubber meets the road for us. We have to check which direction are we on? Are we seeking wealth for wealth as the end? 
the same time, are we seeking God while not appropriately enjoying the things of this life? Because see, here's, here's the danger, a couple dangers, I think, for us. Or, uh, the main, let's, let's just go for one for right now. The danger for us is going to go, we barely enjoy God. And so what happens is from this message, my fear is that we could leave this and go, okay, well, I'm just going to enjoy all the things of my life, and we kind of leave God in the backdrop. Now, the deal with that fear is that we have to understand that in some respects, or I think we see this in Scripture, that if you are a follower of Christ, that what will happen is that as you begin to enjoy the things of God, enjoy the gifts that He's given us, then you will realize in that enjoyment who they come from. Who is the giver of those gifts? Who is the one who makes possible your enjoyment of those gifts? So my my challenge to us today is that we would not pay attention to that phone that's ringing in the background. Enjoy it. Enjoy the ringing. At least it's not like, you know, uh, some rap song or something. You know, that would just be bad. Uh, All right. So, ah, there we go. Wow. God has just got great humor today, just for the record. Uh, All right. Closing thought. I'm trying to get us out of here, you know. Closing thought. And we're going to have time to sing today, too. Um, here, here's, here's, here's the challenge. This is not, again, checklist Christianity, right? This is not do this, this, and this, and we get Jesus. Um, I think what we see here, guys, for those of us who really love the Lord and want to seek Him each day, whatever that looks like, I think this is freedom to enjoy what God has given us. To enjoy the work, the toil that God has given us, that should change our perspective on punching the time clock each day. It should change our perspective when our kids walk in the door and our wife walks in the door. It should change our perspective when we go to the grocery store, when we fill up gas in the cars. It should change our perspective in... The fact that not just are the gifts from God, but the fact that we, He gives us the ability to enjoy them. Um, so, let's, um, I want to pray for us. Uh, obviously, we're going to have a lot of things to discuss through in house gathering this week. So I encourage you to be there. A uh, lot of application, a lot of nitty gritty things that will be fun, uh, really fun to talk about this week. So, uh, let's uh, let's look forward to that. But, um, let's just take a few moments in this last song to uh, reflect, uh, to sing the great truths that are in this song, uh, and then we'll be dismissed in a few minutes. So let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, your graciousness this morning. Um, thank you for your, um, your kindness. Um, 
Father, this, this world is not just meant to be some drudgery, but instead, um, instead you have made it possible for us to enjoy both the gifts and the giver, and to do so without shame, without uh, sin. So Father, I just pray that as, um, as we prepare to leave today that that you would um, that you would guide our hearts, guide our steps. Father, that you would just make clear to us uh, the perspective that we should have on life. And Father, uh, the love that we should have for you. And uh, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Would you guys, would you guys stay with me?